You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Uh, why and where Steph and I had been for a number of weeks at the beginning of the year. And if if you missed it, I'd recommend catching up on it. I called it a clash of the kingdoms. Uh, it, I think, gives the context and the backdrop for a number of challenges that I believe not only have we faced, but actually many of you too. And I've heard so many stories, even just in the last couple of weeks, um, where it's allowed some of you to make sense of some of the things that you've been facing and some of the challenges that you've encountered, uh, not just for us, but also collectively for us as a church. And I intend to do, once I finish this one, a series called Clash of the Kingdoms, unpack it a bit more thoroughly. And But I just didn't want to do it on the back of that one. I didn't want to roll into a place of hype and just allow it and give it some time to settle. But a series that I plan to do is called Trending Now. What are some of the things that are trending in our culture? How can we best navigate them as followers of Jesus? Honestly, I can't think of a more apt time to do a series like this. Some of the prevailing winds that are gripping our culture are, are quite remarkable. Last week, I laid the backdrop to some of it, and I'd recommend catching up again if you missed it. I often speak in series. If you um, listen to last week, it will make more sense then of this week. Um, but it's really, I think, even in the last week, I'd say I've just seen an increased intensity on a need for us to reflect on some of the impacts that roll towards us from our culture. If you've seen anything of the news or anything I just shared a moment ago, you know exactly what I mean. So as we continue today, I just wanted to share a few stories with you by way of starting. I, uh, When I was growing up, I often spent a lot of time with my grandma and granddad, and they had an outside toilet. And uh, without wanting to patronize any of you, uh, some of you may not fully realize what that means, but basically the toilet was outside, um, down the end of the garden. Uh, their heating was a coal fire. As things uh, progressed in life, they had a phone line, uh, but it was shared with their neighbors. You couldn't be on the phone at the same time as their neighbors. Um, and for those of you that that seems a little bit novel, uh, the phone was also it had a wire. And so I'll never forget my granddad for Christmas, believe it or not, once got like this wire extension thing that allowed him to take the phone into another room, and he was quite delighted. Nothing was ever wasted with them. If you didn't eat it, the birds ate it, and if the birds didn't eat it, my grandma took the stuff back and made them into like fat balls to give them back to the birds the next day. Um, I was kind of highly skeptical of that because I often wondered if we didn't eat something, did we see it again and... Was that really what was in the soup? But um, their TV, some of you will remember this, their TV had shutters in front of it, so you like shut the TV away. Um, and when you turned it on, you, I quite enjoyed this part, you just had to whack it to kind of get it going, you know, give it a good bang on the top and all the colors somehow would realign. We'd often watch um, Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. Uh, it was limited to 20 minutes a day maximum watching the TV. My granddad would listen to the cricket on the wireless. I'd love, I mean, he's not around now, but I'd love to chat with him now about the wireless because everything's wireless. But life, life's changed. 
significantly. You know, at some point at school, I, I remember, I can still see it actually, our first computer at school. The teacher wheeled it in on this like massive trolley thing and a, like a compound thing around it to stop somebody stealing it. So I don't know what they'd do if they did steal it because it had, um, I was trying to remember this, was it an A drive, then a floppy drive or a floppy drive, then an A drive? But either way, like most of that is wasted on some of you. They were useless. Um, I, If we went to my grandma and granddad's, my mum would hide our video player so that the burglars didn't nick it, would hide it under the bed. And um, it's because they might look through the window and see the clock on the front of it. And it's kind of like good luck getting the thing out of the house anyway. It was like massive. Um, it would regularly chew up the videotapes. Um, some of you remember that? You had fast forward and then you had like fast fast forward, which was kind of equally as useless. And the um, I think it was called a VHS and it had this top loading thing. Um, to get the video in it, and then the remote control was on a wire where you could only be about like one and a half meters away. Um, before church on a Sunday, me and my brother would um, want to play a computer game in the afternoon, so we'd set up our old Atari, I think it was, like tape deck to, to run this computer game. Um, I call it a computer game. Basically, all you could do was move a car left and right on the screen, and it made like a revving noise, and it had a little joystick and then one red button. Uh, if you played Space Invaders, you could at least shoot. But we'd set it up before church because it would take about two hours to load. And then sometimes you'd get home and it crashed. And it was like, ah, you've got to start again. Um, and depending on who my mum had invited around for Sunday lunch, it could be frowned upon that we were playing computer games because it was a Sunday, the Sabbath, and is that appropriate? I, uh, I remember at one point, I, I think I got a pager before mobile phones come quite believe I had a pager. Uh, my mate's dad had, the first time I'd ever seen it, and I think he had like a red little Nova, but he had a car phone in it, and the battery pack was like the size of a briefcase, and then it was on a wire to like basically an old style traditional handset phone. Obviously never really used it because it was so expensive to use. Uh, I think I remember my first phone, I'm not sure it even did text, but text initially were like 50p a text. Um, and there was a rumor that the first three seconds of your phone call was free. Have any of you ever heard that? So, so you would you would you would phone your mate up and you're like, want to play? Hang up. Football? Hang up. Shoot with the pocket four? Hang up. I don't know whether that ever worked, but we used to do it, and you'd you'd pull out this like massive aerial thing from it, and, and then eventually they developed Snake, which changed our lives forever. Um, I remember my mate got broadband. And I was like, I don't know, what are you on about? I don't want broadband. I've got like this ring, ding, 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 thing that is useless and takes four hours to load a page. I, I'm not trying to leave some of you thinking, what on earth are you on about? Some of you thinking, you're really young. Like, we lived a generation before that. Like, we saw plastic invented. Um, but I just, I just wanted to highlight some of... That was unscripted. I mean, where did we go with that? But I wanted to highlight that I think we've seen some unprecedented advances in technology that has completely altered every facet of our lives in less than a generation. Nobody had had an iPhone before the 28th of June 2007. I think it's time we just pause and consider the moment we're in and the mission we're on.
we we've got to get out a, a stethoscope before we can prescribe the treatment that we need. Do you see what I mean? We diagnosis isn't actually cure. Just because we know of the challenges doesn't mean we know what to do about them. Equally, because of how culture works, we're not always aware that new challenges have been presented to us unless we stop and we think about it. It just generally starts to consume us over a period of time. And I, I don't want to divide us, but I do see huge differences between the generation that grew up prior to the fast shift in technology and those that have grown up not really knowing any different. Studies in 2012 looked at well-being among adolescents, which measured a number of things around self-esteem, life, satisfaction, and happiness. And psychologists have discovered, as you kind of would expect, a significant decline. The, they observed a number of underlying causes, like an increase in smartphone use, engaging in screen activities like social media, internet, texting, gaming, registering as a result much lower levels of psychological well-being. That study in itself is significantly dated back in 2012. A lot has changed even since then. Those who limited at that time smartphone use and regularly engaged in non-screen activities like person-to-person -person interactions, who knew that's a thing, uh, what even that is, you know, like sports and exercise and homework and, and church activities, they had a significantly higher level of psychological well-being. Technology was having a noticeable effect back in 2012. Now, let me just press pause before we go any further because I'm in danger that some of you will be jumping up and down thinking, oh, I told you, I told you, get off your phone, get off your phone. And some of you were like, well, who are you, you to have an opinion on all of that. I'm actually not suggesting that I'm trying to do either, or that we return to the days of landlines and cables and cable extensions or carrier pigeons, but it's worth us just having a moment to consider technology and how culture is shaping us and how increasingly consuming us. I think it's worth reflecting on how all of this shapes our discipleship and how all of it reflects and relates to our faith. So what does the Bible have to say about all of this? That'll be a question many of you will be asking. Well, to my knowledge, iPhone is not in the Bible, but tablet is. Honestly, I thought of that for a while. It's a dad joke. It's a cheap one, but it's worth it. But um, Moses had a couple of tablets. Um, let's move on quickly. Um, Mark 4, 14 says this. Let me read this to you. It says, the farmer plant seed by taking God's words to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so that no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest 30, 60, 
or even a hundred times as much as been, had been planted. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Now, I know we could talk about this passage for a number of weeks. It's so rich. Jesus taught people by telling stories. They were often called parables and he used familiar scenes to unlock spiritual truths and this way of teaching really helps us to think it helps us to explore the principle of what he might be saying and he often used them to conceal truth from those that were too stubborn or prejudiced to hear what was actually been taught most parables though have one main point so we've got to be careful not to stray beyond actually what jesus intended to teach but this parable of the four soils represents four different ways that people could respond to God's message. Now, usually we think that Jesus was talking about four different kinds of people, but he may also have been talking about different times or phases in a person's life or how we willingly apply God's message to some areas of our life but actually resist applying it to others. And the bit I really want to focus on today is in verse 18. I read it over Christmas and it's still gripping me now. I can't get away from this. It says this, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the law of wealth, the desires of other things, so no fruit is produced. The, the truth of Jesus, the message of the kingdom can all too quickly be crowded out by the trappings of culture and the law of the day that then forces the light that we carry to be forced under a basket or under a bowl rather than be on a stand and have influence and affect those around us. A lamp is placed on a stand where it will, its light will shine to everyone around. I, I kind of want to ask us today, do we have a vision for how we're engaging with the world in a time where consumerism is almost more than consumerism, it's hyper-consumerism. We want more, more, more. It's want, 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 need, 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 have, have, have. And um, a lot of this talk, I guess I've lumped around thinking about it in the context of the online world because I think it's easier to latch on to one element, but the principles, I would say, could be applied much more widely. So do we have a vision for how we operate online. I'm not saying in any way I've got it right, but I've tried to think it through. Predominantly, I'd say I have an online presence for those that don't know Jesus. Friends that I've made in this city and neighbors need to see me showing and sharing something of the light and the life and the hope of Jesus. I regularly share stories of the kingdom of what God is doing among us. I'll often also post stuff about football and mini eggs and stuff like that, just so people don't get the impression that I live in a vicarage and we eat cucumber sandwiches and in my spare time I have a dog collar and I make TV adverts. That was just how I thought sometimes I might be viewed. But what if, if I have a, a social or a political or an economic rant what difference does that make? Or am I joining culture rather than shaping culture? Let me just try and explain what I mean. As the Roman Empire expanded 2,000 years ago, 
one of the first things that the military did at that time was they built roads, bridges and milestone markers. And we kind of take it for granted today, but it's difficult to understate just how innovative and well-constructed, how measured and how quite remarkable that system was. They created protected roads that completely transformed Western civilization. It dramatically altered the pace at which people and trade and information could move. It facilitated a rapid cultural blending, um, particularly for the Romans as they started to export their language, their culture and, and religion throughout the new empire. Now, an un unintended consequence of doing that was the unprecedented expansion of Christianity. Not only did the roads enable missionaries to travel faster, but because the roads were then guarded by troops from the military, from the Roman army, early Christians were actually then protected from the common dangers that were seen at that time around travel. And for, for centuries, they had a unrestricted rapid movement. That cultural blending and that creation of the roads in that way allowed the gospel to spread incredibly quickly from city to city and from language to language. Paul almost had a, an ability to walk seamlessly between cultures and religion and religions and also gather various traveling companions along the way as he went from different cultures. First century Christians expanded the gospel to the far reaches of the known world using that road network that was constructed by the Romans in a similar way to which we now have a digital highway and network to advance the gospel. We've, we've got access to instant communication in a way that generations before us would have only dreamt of or probably not at all because they wouldn't have foreseen it. Yet at the same time, that freedom and that accessibility <coughs> of the digital platform has elevated voices that would have been marginalized for generations. Voices that now influence what we think, what we read, what we spend our money on. Someone can, somebody who could be seen as having no voice at all can suddenly have the same level of influence and voice as significant politicians or the media. You could create something and very quickly turn it viral. Now, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we're in a golden age also for producing and sharing kingdom resources and ministry material. I remember I used to go to the library to get an encyclopedia to do research and they had this strange little computer thing that sometimes had books on it digitally but you had to be there and in the library to access it. Do, do we use some of the tools that are available to us for full advantage? If, if somebody was to follow you, would they understand, well, what narrative would they hear? Would they understand, would they see, would they hear that you follow Jesus? Do we use the full potential of it to invite people to, to positively speak truth into people and to work alongside those to share the gospel? At the same time, though, those roads that facilitated the spread of the gospel and the growth of Christianity were a powerful tool and became a powerful tool for persecution. Rome started to frequently line the roads with crucified criminals that belonged to sects or ideologies that the empire started to perceive 
as a threat. As Christianity grew, the roads that facilitated the expansion of the gospel started to become a weapon to stem its advance. I'd say a very similar thing. Modern technology, at first quite exciting and inviting, has a similar potential for destruction. There are deeply troubling elements, as many of you will be aware, the easy access of resources and then the ability to keep them secret has probably quite predictably led to an increase in addictions in the home. I don't just mean pornography, but what about comparison, compulsive shopping, mindless surfing and scrolling, opinion sharing without any facts or reality, fear. We could go on and on and on and on. Social media has really provoked a new age in social bias and tribalism that can be unleashed on others with little regard for the facts or for the faces of the people behind them. <clears throat> Our point of view, I would say, would be that we need to have extreme caution. We're image bearers of God. How does that be represented and reflected in an online way? Generally, I would say in society, is leading to a crisis in authority. At times, the loudest and the craziest voice becomes the one that is perceived as the leader in society, and actually at times, even in the church. Now, I say all of that, and I know honestly, for, for some of you, you're going to have a fun Sunday afternoon chatting some of this through and working out some of what I've said. I'm in no way trying to say that technology is either good or bad. In fact, I love technology. I, I always have. I love gadgets. But like the Roman roads, I would say it's a tool that is becoming increasingly more powerful in each generation. I'm not trying to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. Actually, I believe it can be a significant factor in advancing the gospel to get aid to people in need and can be really used as a tool to equip us. But what I would say is I think it is a significant error if we don't consider how these tools and the development of them is influencing or discipling us, often in ways that we don't even fully appreciate. The challenge is for us to understand when our technology habits are leading us into the wrong place, when they lead us into greater anxiety, fear, or anger, or pride, or whatever it might be, and then being willing to have a look, to reflect, and if necessary, correct it. It doesn't mean we need to reject it all. In fact, we need to find ways to harness it in a way that isn't mastering us, but is for the benefit of us. At times, we need to recognize it's not our calling as a follower of Jesus to, to fully indulge in it, to fully cooperate with what culture is di um, dictating to us. Sometimes we need to lay down certain patterns of self and community destruction that is happening for the sake of the gospel. The lens through which we see society should be the lens of the kingdom and the lens of Jesus. I read this recently by Tim Keller, and I thought it was fascinating. He said this. He said, when we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is panic. This may be a reason why so many people now respond to US political trends in such an extreme way. I thought it was so much easier to focus on the states rather than ourselves. 
But he says, he went on to say, when either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They've put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that was once reserved for God and the work of the kingdom and the spread of the gospel. I thought so fascinating. The countless false gods, the idols of our society, identity, personality, I do find it interesting that a number of them keep tumbling. Continually, people place hope and faith and security and finances. Then we have a crash in politics, and then it all goes a bit nuts, maybe in health, and then there's a deep-rooted fear and a panic. You know, the other Saturday, I was hanging out with a few other parents that we know through the school, and the conversations, just the mood was so flat. It was anchored at first around finances and then politics and then the virus and then the weather and on and on and on it went there was almost no hope and no reason and no positivity and how how do we respond in these times well we're resurrection people we we have the light and the truth of the resurrection and we carry something significant into those interactions and moments um spurgeon an english Baptist preacher in the 1800s who said this, the world is starving and we've got the bread of life. Do we, do we give it? Do we share it? Do we, do we offer it? The Roman roads, the connections that we have to society, the inroads that we have into the lives of those around us are really quite profound. And as I mentioned earlier, I think when we're in times like this, the potential for the spread of the gospel could and should only be increased. We have our, an opportunity to be at our best when often the world around us seems to be at its worst. The fear and the anxiety that is rife and gripping culture is a significant moment for the kingdom to break in. Our light can be shining so brightly if we put it on the stand, but often the, the challenge is we start to reflect culture rather than transcend it. But I think we have a remarkable moment to step into shining that light. We live in the midst of a mission field. You live in a place of a mission field where God has called you to, to contend faithfully for the gospel, to extend the kingdom in the place that you are. Part of um, my job, we, we don't just leave this church, but part of the role I do is to help resource church planting in the vineyard. And do you know, I, I would say, if I'm really honest, I have to be so careful the enemy is so sly. Paul, you're not really very good at this. Actually, they're doing it way better. Why haven't, why haven't you done this? They were at this stage when two years in, three years in, four years in. Why, why isn't this? Why isn't that? The enemy constantly tries to pick at our brains and to wear us down. What, what does that look like for you? If you just look at the context and the life stage you're in and the environment you work and live and around family how, how does he try and pick off your mind I, I actually don't follow that many people or other churches on social media not because I don't care about them but because I think comparison is such a dangerous game it's enemy territory I follow a couple of other churches that we have a heart and a mind connection with but I don't get caught up in other people's stuff the voice you listen to is the voice that you will empower. You've got to pick the right voice. 
we need to be people that are running in the lane that God has called us to be in, seeking to be faithful to whatever he wants us to do in the context we're in. And actually comparison is a really dangerous game or thing to slip into. If we're not careful, our worldview quite easily becomes distorted. Shouting headlines, Instagram posts by celebrities, the scare tactics of negative political campaigning, whatever it might be, however it might be affecting you, sometimes I think we do well to take note of it. I'd recommend an inventory. Inventory is probably the wrong word, but having a reflection on your time and your thinking. What's it look like? Who's got your attention? Who's shaping it? Who's molding your mind? Romans 12, I think, is such a key passage for something like this. It says this. It says, I plead with you. I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the patterns and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We're called to be transformed people, to renew our minds, living in a way that honors him, and obeys him. We're, we're called to be people that, that have and establish and grow the mind of heaven here on earth. Our mind should reflect the mind of heaven. So what, what are our habits? What would it be that we need to review? What are some of our inputs? What are our outputs? You know, I'd, I'd say it's, it's, it's a dagger to my heart when our three-year-old says to me, Daddy, put your phone away now. I'm not doing it. When our seven-year-old says, Daddy, put your phone away, but I jump to the defense of, I'm not on my phone. You are. I'm not. And we have a debate. Well, I'm, I'm not. And she's like, you are. Well, you're reading the sports news. Yeah, but that's not working. What am I doing? She wants to play a game. She wants to interact with me. You know, the quality of our influences will dictate the quality of our spiritual lives. What is it that's influencing us? In 1985, in 1985 who was there then? Shell suits and all that. Um, Gary Lineker had just started playing for England. That's, the, that's how I always remember it. I think he started in 84 anyway, but that's another matter. But apparently a study in 1985 found that 71% of programs people watched on TV were totally unplanned. I thought, wow, that's a staggering statistic. Imagine if somebody was to do a study now of our online activity and our consumption of it. What would that look like? How much is intentional? How much is unintentional? How much is just mindless, just browsing? Next thing, next thing, next thing. It's fighting for our discipleship. It's fighting for our affection. Addiction is so often seen and understood as being drugs but today there's such a behavioral addiction the average person apparently now uses a phone for three hours a day people are tethered to you the average young person apparently opens snapchat 18 times a day and most people now wake in the night to check something to look at something or to read something or check the latest notification i no wonder our margin is reduced and our minds are not rested 
He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way of worship. Don't copy the behavior and the custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I think it's dangerous when we move from real personal relationships and discipleship to an online version. And I'm not saying it's always wrong, but I just think there's a there's a lean among my generation. I get my worship here, I get my teaching here, I get my relationships here. I go, I get my community at bingo. You know, my my auntie used to always say that to me. It's, if that seems random to say, she used to be, bingo's my church. Like, bingo's not your church. That's that's not going to form you into a living, holy sacrifice the, the kind that he will find pleasing if if bingo was my auntie's idol what's our what's ours you know a guy i know quite well who lives locally to us he he doesn't know jesus yet but i i, I see it on his life that football is his god it's where his money goes his time goes his social life his holidays are dictated by everything centers around it but for others it's shopping or a hobby or in moderation most of these things are not wrong but i think we've got to be people that spot the fawns the fawns that so quickly too quickly crowd out the message of the kingdom that steal our time steal our desires our affections and our priorities away from jesus for you it may not be at all the online world if i you know i was to chat with my mom she's like what is this internet thing but what what it what is it that's consuming you? What's what's got you? Is it a life stage? Is it a house project? Is it kids? Is it a relationship? Is it material possessions? Is it a hobby? Is it bitterness? Is it rejection? Is it loneliness? Is it image? And I know I'm lumping all of those together, and I'm not saying all of them are wrong. But are they idols? Have they become? front and center and then robbing the rightful place of jesus being our lord you know i i see culture around us getting gripped by so many things becoming so passionate about the next thing the next campaign the next rally the next need for activism again i, I don't want to say they're all bad or wrong i just sometimes wish people felt so passionately for jesus and the extension of his kingdom that they do about some of those causes because actually often the root of those causes flows and extends from the heart of Jesus. Steph often says to me, Jesus didn't die for blue sky and green fields. You know, we've got a mission. We've got a mandate that we can't lose sight of him, of our relationship with Jesus and the mission that we have to connect him with others. The passage I read at the start says this, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the law of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. One of the reasons I think we have to look and reflect on stuff like this is if we're not careful, it becomes a fruit limiter. So the passage says, so no fruit is produced the forms prevent the fruit 
for us to be all we're meant to be as a church, all I believe we're called to be as a church. We've got to wrestle off some of the strangleholds of the things that consume us in order to free us for our kingdom potential. I'd, I'd encourage you. It may be nothing to do with the online world, but what is it that's consuming you? I'd encourage you to have a review. Personally, I'd say I'm not cutting it out. I'm just careful about what influences me, what controls me, and what I need to do and what I don't need to do about some of those things. But I'd, I'd encourage us to have a vision for it. What's it look like to think it through? How can we use some of these things to extend the kingdom rather than just be consumed or be consumers or just drifting along? We renew our minds. We focus our minds so that good con God can transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. Then we become a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that is pleasing to him. That's our worship. We don't copy. We don't mimic the customs and the behaviors of the world. And I, one of the reasons I encourage you to listen to last week's talk is because one of the things I said is, I don't mean to offend you. Some of you, I know even by saying some of this, I'll have, I'll have irritated you. I, I don't want you to hear accusation or condemnation. I believe that's the territory of the enemy and we need to call it out. But I do hope as we reflect on some of this stuff that it reveals in us or has the potential for Jesus to be revealed more so that he can transform us, so that he can bring to the fullest place of fruition his plans and purposes, not just that we then reflect culture, but actually that we're able to step into it and to transform it. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.